uh, we're starting a brand new series today called Jesus Our, and we're going to fill in the blank. Every week as we lead up to Easter, we're going to be filling in a blank uh, of what really Jesus is, who he is. Do you know who he is? Who is he to you? Jesus our, and today we're going to talk about Jesus our Savior. Jesus our Savior. Sounds simple. Sounds elementary. Many people would be like, oh yeah, of course, we, we know that. I, I want to I just open up the word and look at what it really means to know Jesus as our Savior. First Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world. Now this is the purpose. The, the scripture is defining what Jesus' purpose of coming to the world is. He came into the world to save sinners. You ever notice in Paul's writing, like he, he says, he's talking about tongues, and he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. He says he's a sinner. He's like, I'm the worst. He's like, he always has to be the best or the worst. It's like, Paul's got a lot of focus on himself. He says, he came to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in, in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience. Anybody ever grateful for the patience of God? Man, I feel like I've tried his patience at times. I'm just grateful. I'm grateful he's patient. Patient as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Jesus Christ, our Savior. Did you know that that is the sole reason that Jesus came to the world was to save us? He came as the Savior of the world. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. So some people know Jesus and, and even other religions will talk about Jesus as a great prophet, as a great teacher, a great philosopher, a great activist, a great reformer. But I'm going to tell you this, Jesus is best in the definition that God gave him, which is Jesus, our Savior, our Savior. People like different versions of Jesus. People like to pick different versions. I, I remember years ago, I was doing a Christmas series. This was before I had started pastoring the church, and uh, Pastor Steve was the pastor, our founding pastor, and, and uh, he was getting ready. He was getting me ready to take the church, and we are doing a Christmas series doing a Christmas series about all the different expressions and, and ways that Jesus works in our lives. And he goes, I got a great illustration for you. He's mentoring me. And uh, I said, great, what is it? And he goes, there's a movie. And uh, he goes, I think you should play this clip in your message because it is just, it so accurately depicts your point and it's so funny. And I'm like, well, what, what movie? I hadn't watched it because I'm a Christian and I have high standards. And, and uh, he, said, he says, tell the digging nights. He goes, they're sitting around a table, and Will Ferrell starts praying to the baby Jesus. He, he says, he likes the baby Jesus the best. And I'm in a good mood today because before I came out here, I watched that on YouTube. I had to see that clip just to make sure, and it's still just as funny as it was before. And, and his wife interrupts him, you know, it's like, you know Jesus grew up, right? And uh, he goes, when you say grace, you can say your version. But I like the little Jesus the best. You know, we, we have a world that likes to choose their type and version of Jesus. We lost a couple families during that series, by the way. And I told Pastor Steve, that was your fault. You told me to use that bad movie. And, um, you know, it didn't work out quite as, as planned. It is a good illustration, though. We, 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 people like to choose 
what Jesus is to them. They like to choose him as the activist or choose him as the reformer or choose him as the teacher or choose him as the prophet or choose him as someone from the past. But Jesus is who God says he is. He is the savior of the world. Christ Jesus, our text says, came into the world to save sinners. The, 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 the problem that we have is most people would agree that Jesus came to save sinners. The difficulty is convincing people who the sinners are. Right? For even some of you, you're like, yeah, Jesus Christ came in to save sinners. I'm thinking about him right now. Two, two doors down on my street. He needs it. No, we got to define who are sinners. I think even as the Capital C Church, we have put such a, 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 a air of condemnation and guilt on people who have sinned that there is this pressure to do right or at least act like you do right. But this is the truth of the matter. The Bible teaches us not any person, not one person is without sin. That you cannot find in any of us, in, in any of us would be without fault. In fact, the default human condition is not towards righteousness. It's towards wickedness. I don't know if you know this or not, but if you put your mind in neutral, just in, totally at ease, it would begin to drift towards selfishness, towards wickedness, towards your own desires, towards evil. I wish, I wish that you could get to a place that you would just rest your mind and automatically you would just think about how to bless others, how to do right, how to yield your rights, how to love when persecuted, how to, I, I wish that, that's not my default. It's not your default either. The Bible says you have to train yourself to be godly, which tells me that my default is to be ungodly and I have to, I have to actively train myself to become godly. My default human condition is towards sin. Now I know what you're thinking. When I say sin, everybody has like their top three. Top three. Oh yeah, I thought, oh yeah, murder. You know, you talk about the bad, I mean, everyone's thinking about the bad ones. Just, just the big. Sin actually means to miss the mark. So if perfection is the mark because God is perfect, he's holy, he's righteous. If perfection is the mark, then all of us have missed this mark. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, As for you, you were dead. In I like how Paul, he never like pulls punches. You know, it's like, some of you are like, are you a sinner or are you not? He's like, worse than that, you're dead. <laughs> As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Did you know this? Before the world accepts a savior, they have to believe that they need one. Before the world will ever accept the saving power of Jesus, they have to be able to view themselves in need of being saved. Whether you've been coming to church for 35 years or you've been in church now for 35 minutes, 
We all are in need of being saved. This scripture in Ephesians says that we have been dead in transgressions. You know, you know the world tries to teach us like, like what is right and wrong, good and evil, bad, good. It, it's, it's man, you, and maybe some of you even came into church and you feel shame because you've done a lot of bad things. You can't, maybe you had a wild weekend and you came in and you're like, man, I don't know if I should even be in the house today. It, it's about to be spring break, some of y'all getting ready, and you haven't eaten in th- 13 days, getting the beach pod ready. It, some of us are like, it, whether, it's, whether it's good or bad, I want you to know something, that all your goodness does not attain God's favor or salvation. You ever heard someone say this before? Well, I'm a really good person. Your good's still evil when you compare it to him. The best you can do, the greatest moral code of conduct, the highest form of ethics, the greatest behavior still falls short. That's what Romans chapter 3 says, that we fall short of the every single person, falls short of the glory of God. People think that, that, that God's mad because of sin that we've been in or things that we've done that have been wrong. And so many people, I heard John Piper, he said this, he says, we're not in the doghouse, we're in the morgue. Which means this, people think that God's like mad at them, like, oh, I'm in the doghouse with God, you know, the weekend. Well, it's been, it's been my best year, you know, like the quarantine kind of got to me. And it's, just, it's just, I'm in the doghouse. Friends, it's not the doghouse. It's called the morgue, which means this. We were dead in transgressions. We were dead in sin. We were dead in the acts of our flesh. We were, this is what the Bible teaches us, we were born into sin. Some people think like, well, man, I've, I've done pretty good. I haven't sinned for a little while. haven't done anything bad. haven't done anything crazy. No, friends, we were born into sin. Our best attempts were still missing the mark. You know what's crazy is you don't have to learn how to sin. Nobody learns how to lie. Nobody learns how to sneak. No one learns how to be shady. You just, it's, it's natural. I know this from my youngest son. I didn't, I didn't teach him to steal. I didn't teach him to lie, but I saw him sneak the candy from the pantry. Literally, this is when he's super young. I mean, just like a couple years old. He has that thing. He has the candy in his hand. I'm like, Genesis, you took candy from the pantry, didn't you? It's in his hand. No. (laughs) Brother, I am not an idiot. All right, like I see it in your hand. No. Did you take it? No. Do you have candy? No. You know this is candy, right? Yes. (laughs) I didn't teach him to lie. That's Jamie did. I hadn't thought about that before. I, we didn't teach him to rebel, to hide what he had. It was natural. It is our human condition to act in self-interest. And we all, friends, are born into a sinful nature that misses. Can I just help somebody that what you've done is not what makes you dead. It's being born into this sinful world. I'm not condoning sin or bad behavior or break. I'm just saying we were already in trouble. We needed a savior before you broke the law. Some of you are like, well, you know, I've, I've actually lived a pretty good life, Pastor. I've, I've done a lot of good things. You broke the law today <laughs> when you drove here. 
I'm, I'm, I'm probably 99% correct on this. Somebody went a mile over the speed limit. Somebody didn't wear their seatbelt. And you just drive with it beeping the whole time. You've gotten used to it. It's like music now. Like, ah, I can't do that. I just ripped out the buzzer. Like, I just, I can't drive. No, no, I wear my seatbelt. It's a joke. Uh, Each of us, if you you think about perfection, adhering to a perfect code of, no one fits the bill. We're not just in the doghouse. We're in the morgue. We're dead in our sins. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. It says, therefore, just as sin into the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Listen, this is, this is so key. You don't come to church just to try to be better to try to do better, to try to not sin as much. We come to church, we come to Jesus to become alive. That part of us that was dead comes alive. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life, and that life to the full. His will is not that your heart, your spirit, your mind be dead. His heart is that you would be alive. That's why Jesus came, friend, not to save us from bad behavior, but to save our souls. Save our souls. Even from the very beginning, Matthew chapter 1 says in verse 21, She will, Mary, give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Before Jesus was even born, God announced an answer to our sinfulness. He announced an answer in the form of Jesus. He said his name will be Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That name Jesus was a common name back then, but it means God saves or God is our salvation. Luke chapter 2, verse 10, after Jesus was born, it says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news. That will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Did you know that in our culture today, there's all kinds of controversy whether Jesus actually is the Savior of the world? So many people taking their version of Jesus and saying this is truth, but you cannot read the Bible without learning very quickly that Jesus not only is the Savior of the world, but his express purpose of coming to this planet was to save those who are lost. Luke chapter 19, verse 9, says, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. Now listen, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And we preach Jesus in all kinds of different ways and Jesus doing all kinds of different things. And we love to use, we love Jesus. We love to use him on our own passion and our own drive. But I'm going to tell you this, the, the, the only reason Jesus came was to seek and to save the lost. In fact, hidden in this passage in Luke chapter 2, there is so many fulfilled prophecies in one verse. It says, today in the town of David, it was prophesied that the Messiah would be born in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. It was prophesied that a Savior would come. Born to you, he is the Messiah. It was prophesied that the Messiah would come from the city of David. The Lord 
He came as a savior, a savior, saving us from what? Saving us from ourselves, saving us from sin, saving us from separation from God. Because friends, this is what sin does. Sin separates us from a holy God. God is holy, he is perfect, and there can only be perfection in his presence. So I'm out, and you're out. So we're separated from God. And that separation is caused by sin, by that sin that we're born into, the sin that we, that we commit, and it separates us. But it's God's heart that we would, each of us, be brought near to him. Jesus didn't come to teach, to reform, or to heal. He came to save. Ephesians 2, verse 12, it says, Remember that at that time you were separated separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, who you, who want, who you once were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Friends, this is an elementary gospel message that actually runs very, very deep. You can talk about it simply, but you could study it for the next three years and not get to the depth, depths of this message. It sounds, and even at the, at, the, at the risk of excusing some of these verses because you heard them at Christmas time or you've read them before, the depth of these scriptures changes the trajectory of, enti- of, hu- of, the, of the entire trajectory of humanity. By what Jesus did and what he said, we were separated. But now we can come near through the blood of Christ. God in all his perfection cannot have us and our imperfection. So God so loved us, right, that he sent Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood, that blood, friends, covered my sin, covered your sin. It covered my imperfections and your imperfections. And now I can draw near to Jesus, not because I'm good. Not because I'm on the lead team. Not because I gave generously. Not because I come to church every week. Not None of those things allow me to come into his presence. There is only one thing that gives me entrance and access to the presence of God. And it's the blood of Jesus. When he died and shed his blood, it bought forgiveness for my sin, my imperfections, my humanity. So now I can come into his presence. You ever come into church and just feel like, man, I, don't, I just don't know, man. I feel, I feel shame. Or I feel condemned. I feel like I don't belong. I feel like God might be mad at me. I feel all of those things are false. All the, did you know that right living doesn't come by stricter discipline? It comes by greater revelation of who he is. When you realize that he is your savior, you want to please him. When you realize what he's done for you, you want to change your behavior. We've done it backwards in the church. We've tried to get all the rules and say, if you come here, you got to do this, and you got to do this, and you got to do this, and you got to change that, and why don't you change that? And then we try to hunt down sinners as if we're not sinners ourselves. Try to expose, try to, friend, I have never met somebody 
that has not changed as a result of getting closer to Jesus. In fact, the closer I get to Jesus, the more I want to be like Jesus, the more I want to be better, the more I want to be a better dad, a better husband, the more I love, the more I forgive, because you can't recognize him as Savior and come into the presence of Almighty Heavenly Father without changing. Without changing somehow. God in his in his massiveness, in the expanse of who he is, God saw humanity. This is so amazing. God saw us. God saw us in our human condition. He saw us in sin. He saw us in our frailty. He saw us being born into sin. And I, and I love this about God. God didn't just watch to observe. God saw us and had compassion on us. So God saw us, but he also loved us. God saw, and then God loved. He loved. He he loved us not because of what we've done for him. He loves us because of who we are. In fact, Romans chapter 5, I love this passage. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, it says, You see, at just the right time, just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Now listen to this. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still... Okay. Not while I was a preacher. Not while I was a good little Christian. While I was a sinner, he chose to die for me. This debunks all of the shame and guilt and condemnation that you walked into church with today because he didn't die for you because you were good. He died for you because he loved you. In spite of every... That is good... No wonder they call the gospel good news. That's good news, friend, that I don't have to accomplish something in order to receive his love. God saw me and he loved me. I like to picture God's love like this. I like to picture God's love like a massive waterfall. This is going to help somebody. I like to picture it like a massive waterfall, just crashing. I don't know if you've ever been to Niagara Falls or some massive waterfall. It's crashing. You, you can get up under that waterfall. That thing will just like crush you. It hurts. The water's coming down at such pressure. And, and, and whatever, whatever you feel like you can do or how powerful you are, you can't stop it. You can put an umbrella up, your umbrella's broke. You can try to build a shelter, it's destroyed. You, 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 you can't stop it. You can try to dam it up, you, you can't stop it. You can get out from under it. I'm going to tell you how God's love is. God's love is like a waterfall. You know what many Christians think? As soon as you mess up, he stops the water. Or he's giving you just a trickle because you're just not that good. The love of God is towards you in such power and such magnificence that you can't stop it even if you tried. The only thing you can do is step out from underneath it. I just don't feel like God loves me. Friend, get back in the waterfall. It's pouring. It's towards you. And this scripture says that he didn't choose to love you when you started tithing. He says he started loving you when you hated him. 
You started loving, he started loving you when you didn't even think he was real. You, he started loving you when you were mad at him. He started loving you when you were running from him. He says, while you were still a sinner, that's when I, that's when I chose you. God saw us. God loved us, but he didn't stop there, and I love this. He says, I love him so much, I can't leave him like that. So God sent. God sent us the answer. Do you know the entire universe is searching for answers, for this life, for peace, for love, for some type of happiness or joy? God saw us, loved us, and then sent the answer. As cliche as it sounds, Jesus is the answer. He's the answer. It's never going to go out of style. It's never not going to be relevant. It's, it's, it's never going it, 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 to... It's the same. Over and over and over. Well, you know, you got to kind of like spice it up. You got to change the message up a little bit. What are you talking about? What have you been reading that got you to start thinking that we got to spice up the best news that has ever been given to any human in the history of time. It's that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, no matter how you've messed up, the waterfall of God's love is towards you and you can choose to accept it or reject it, but it's not going to change it because he chose you and he, and he loves you. And he loves you. You know, if you were... All right, as I'm talking with people, and, and uh, maybe you've had this conversation before, some people say, well, I, I don't really believe God's loving. And I ask them, why, why don't you think God's loving? They say, how could a loving God send someone to hell? You ever been asked that question or asked it yourself? How could a loving God send someone to a Christless eternity? And I'm going to tell you something, God doesn't. He doesn't. Some of you are like, well, that's not what I heard. No, he, he, he really doesn't. God saw God loved, and let me just picture this way. Let's just pretend. Don't think about it too much, but pretend I'm drowning, okay? Pretend I'm drowning. Literally, I'm, I'm, I'm drowning. I'm gasping for air. I'm going, I'm, I'm going down. One of you see me, and you think, I'm going to save him. And you throw me a lifeline, and I'm like, anybody but you. Nobody in this room, obviously, first service. Anybody but you. Now, did that person send me to my death? Or did I refuse the help that was given? Friends, that's, that's the lifeline that God sent to us out of love. He saw, he loved, and he sent the lifeline, Jesus. And some people say, well, I, 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 I like baby Jesus the best. I like a different version of saving. I like a different version of salvation. I don't want that. So why would a loving God send? No, a loving God did everything possible to make sure you had every chance to accept unconditional love, to accept life, to accept a fresh chance at life. In fact, the Bible says whoever is in Christ is not remodeled, refurbished, is a new creation. The old is gone and the new, that is good news. The old is gone and the new has come. Jesus' chief purpose in coming was to save the lost, of which is me and you. Mark chapter 2, there's a passage of scripture I love. I've preached it all kinds of different times. It's four men, four friends that are taking their paralyzed friend to Jesus. Remember the story? He could, they come to Jesus. The house is, is packed. 
There's no way they can get in. There's no way they, they can. They, it's just slammed. It's a crowd pre-COVID. And so they said, we're getting in anyways. So they go to the roof and they start lowering the friend down. They make a hole in the roof, start lowering. You know the story? They lower the friend right down to the feet of Jesus. Jesus is probably preaching the best message of his life. And all of a sudden, you know, it's like, what? This guy comes down. Now, he can't walk. He's crippled. All right, so I would imagine they're bringing him to Jesus so that he can get healed. I think anybody would probably assume that what he wanted from Jesus was a miracle. But I'm going to teach you something about Jesus. It's so good. Jesus knows what you need the most. Jesus knows what you need the most. So this is what Jesus, Jesus is there, and he doesn't mind the interruption. I just, I'm kind of being facetious. I don't think he minded the interruption. I, said, I think he thought, man, that's pretty cool. You got some faith. Come on down here. And uh, he says, uh, son, your sins are forgiven. I just like try to picture <laughs> the crippled man like, um, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, let's, just, let's just finish the job, though. Like, I came here for a reason. I'm planning on walking home. And Jesus is like, oh, you're so welcome. Your sins are forgiven. He's like, brother, I did not come for my sins to be forgiven. I came to be healed. Jesus knows what you need the most. He knows what you need the most. And Jesus looked at this man, and in his perceptive understanding of the human condition, he said, your sins are forgiven. Now this is interesting, but rabbis in that day, they believed that if you had some type of physical condition, it was because of sin that was in your life. So if you were crippled, it was because God's judgment was on you because you're a sinner. If you were blind, it was because God's judgment was on you. And they taught this. They believed this. And so when Jesus said your sins are forgiven, the Pharisees, the rabbis, the teachers, the religious leaders, they said, who are you to say that his sins are forgiven? Who are you to tell him that your sins And Jesus, man, I love Jesus. Jesus never backs down from a challenge. Uh, just, if you ever want to see God just show off, you got to just you got to get you got to step so far out in faith that He has to come through because God loves protecting His reputation. A lot of times we're trying to protect our reputation. If you can step out so far in faith, God will start working on His. Sometimes people never see miracles because they're always worried about their reputation. But if you would push the step of faith so far that God has to come through. I want to try it. So Jesus says, what would you say? Come at me. They said, how can you forgive sins? How do we even know his sins are forgiven? He says, just so you will know that I can and have the power and the authority to forgive sins. Why don't you also get up and walk? And the man got up and walked. So we love the miracle, but there was a meaning behind the miracle. The meaning behind the miracle was to show the rabbis that this physical, external miracle was only showing that an internal change had happened in the man. And I believe the same is true today, is that the greatest miracle of all is God changing the human heart. The greatest miracle of all is God forgiving our sins and being our Savior. But friends, He doesn't stop there. He knows your condition. He knows what you're walking through. He knows what you're feeling. He knows what you're dealing with. And He says, just so you know that I really am who I say I am. Why don't we take care of some external things? 
And you can know that internally something has changed. If Jesus would have walked out of the room with just the man's sins forgiven, the teachers and religious leaders would have never believed. Would have never believed that anything changed. But because there was an external healing partnered with the internal forgiveness, everybody was talking about how Jesus moved, how Jesus worked. Forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performs. It meets the greatest need. It costs the greatest price. And it brings the greatest blessing and the most lasting results. You might have a condition physically, mentally, emotionally. Did you know that still the greatest healing is the healing of the human heart? (laughs) I might never get over this, but if I'm forgiven, I'm okay. This is why the revelation of Jesus as our Savior is one of the greatest revelations that you could ever have for your life. Because I might be poor, but Jesus is my Savior. I might not be able to walk, but Jesus is my Savior. I might went through some hard times, but Jesus is my Savior. We have taught a watered-down, domesticated version of the gospel that says only if you're blessed, only if you're wealthy, only if you're right, then God's blessing is on you. Friends, it's not true. God saw you, He loved you, and He sent His Son as an answer to the world's problems. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's what we're searching for. He's what you're looking for. And He loves you. I believe this today, whether you've been serving Jesus for years, or maybe you came in here and you don't even know why you're here. Who's the guy in the motorcycle jacket yelling? <laughs> this is faith, believe it, I'm going to have a motorcycle. Uh, whether you've been coming or this is your first time, I almost think that for all of us, we just need to take a look at our relationship with Jesus. Is it Jesus is just the provider? We know God's our provider, but friends, Jesus came to save you. Don't water down his sacrifice by just saying it's something just for me. I I know it's not a popular message to preach. This is the good news of the gospel. So you can go through life crippled and never receiving physical healing, but if you've got Jesus, he's the same. He's the Savior. He's the Savior. Just think how perfect Jesus is by thinking about how great God is. And he saw the human condition. He said, I'm going to fix it. And his antidote to fix it was Jesus. Oh, man, we need Jesus. We need a revelation of Jesus as our Savior. Whether you've got 13 biblical degrees or whether you can barely find Genesis in your Bible, you need a revelation of Jesus. In fact, I would say maybe more for us, some of us have been saved for a long time. Maybe you need it, maybe even more from some people that are just beginning because what happens is throughout time, you get accustomed to the great price that's been paid. And maybe it's time to just ask God for a fresh revelation of his saving power. Friends, things might not be going your way. I don't mean to be trivial, but Jesus is your savior. You might not be getting what you want in life, but Jesus is your savior.
I feel like there's about three things are going to happen in this room really quickly. One, some of you are going to get saved for the very first time. You're going to accept Jesus as your Savior for the very first time. It's going to be awesome. Two, bodies are going to be healed in this room. I'm telling you, there's going to be miracles today. We've been singing about it all day. We're declaring it. We've been praying. There's going to be miracles. There's going to be external miracles to prove of God's internal work. Okay, it's going to happen in this room. Third thing that's going to happen. I really felt this specifically for this service. There are some people that have been walking in shame, like heavy shame. And you've been trying to earn this love. And I'm, I'm telling you, you're about to be set free today. He started pouring out the love while you were at the worst. Don't think about it too long, but you can think about like the worst you've ever been. That's when he said, yes, I'll take them. Can you imagine? I, I always think of, this is always the illustration. I'm real competitive and I love sports. And uh, so I always think about like when you pick teams, right? And you always try to arrange the sides so you can pick the best, right? Like I used to always like, I would count out like how many good people were on each side and like, okay, I want, I'll go second because I know he'll pick his buddy and he's not that good anyways and I can get first pick. I mean, I'm like, strategy. But there's always the kid that you're like, but not, you know, if we go down the, okay, I can't get last pick, right? He's just, he hasn't hit his prime yet. If Jesus is team captain, this is how it works. He's like, I'll take Johnny. We're like, Johnny, my gosh, Johnny can trip it over his own feet. Johnny hasn't even reached puberty. Johnny. God's like, yeah. Come on, Johnny. Let's go, Johnny. I got you. What? He takes him at his worst. You're trying to compare your best to receive God's best. And he just throws the whole equation out of the water. And he says, when you were like awful, I mean, just like a God hater, when you were drunk, when you were strung out, when you just were so far from him, he's like, Johnny, Johnny, come on. You're like, I wouldn't step foot in a church right now at this condition. That, and that's where he decided to pour out his love towards you. Somebody's going to get set free today because you don't have to earn this. You just have to receive this. You don't have to try to get to it. It's towards you. You just got to step under it and receive it.